Please remain standing and pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, be king among us today. Lord, take our full allegiance and loyalty, any competing allegiance or loyalty. Lord, I pray that you would remove and cast down by the preaching of your word and that you alone would reign supreme and be exalted. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is Christ the King Sunday, and usually on Christ the King Sunday, we refer to this Sunday, I Sunday as Stick It to Caesar Sunday. Uh, in fact, they're going to be playing uh, Pin the Tail on the Emperor in Children's Church this morning. No, not really. But, uh, but what, I, what we usually do on today is that we, we, remi- we are reminded in the Word of God that our primary allegiance is to King Jesus, that we are citizens of his kingdom first and of the political secular state second, and that Jesus Christ alone claims our ultimate loyalty. So for us, if we are genuinely living under the rule and reign of King Jesus, if we are convinced that our primary loyalty is to him and that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God, a city not made with hands but eternal in the heavens, which God has prepared for those who love him, if we're fully convinced of that truth, the truth from scripture, then it doesn't matter who ends up on election day being elected because we are sojourners, we are resident aliens, and our king is already ruling and reigning over the universe. So it's not apocalyptic no matter who gets elected for folks who are truly living under the lordship and the reign of King Jesus. However, I'm not going to do that today because I kind of already fired that shot with a pastoral letter that went out previously uh, about two weeks ago, immediately following the, uh, the election cycle that we just went through. But I think that there is actually something more pressing and more critical that goes totally unobserved by most of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. It is something that is in the air we breathe. It's in the water that we drink. It is so much a prevalent part of our own society that we don't even realize it's there. And And it is an idea. It's an idea that challenges the supremacy of the kingship of Jesus Christ, not in just the secular world outside these four walls. It is so all-pervasive. It is so endemic that it actually actually influences every one of us. And we are probably... Uh, we are probably dominated by this idea, and we're totally unaware of it. It's hidden in plain sight. A few, uh, a couple of years ago, we had to get a new uh, ceiling fan in the bedroom. I had, you know, worried about the ceiling fan falling off and, and chopping us up as we laid there in, in bed. I mean, I, I don't think it could happen, but, you know, you never know. Minister and wife die in freak accident. And so, so we get a new ceiling fan installed. And it, the ceiling fan, after I go in and look at this, I got a handyman to do it. Uh, John Craig recommended him. Thanks, John Craig. Uh, so I, I, I went in and I look at it, and the cowling around the top of that thing is not flush with the ceiling. It's, it's flush on one side, but there's like a quarter-inch gap on the other side of the ceiling fan. And, of course, I'm thinking, I just tried to remove this peril, you know, from my bedroom already, and it looks like this thing's falling off. So I talked to him. He said, no, no, it's securely uh, attached to the roof rafters, it, it, you know, but I'd have to go up and I'd have to uh, frame out a box and everything to get that thing to sit flush, and that would cost you a lot more money. But he said this. He said, don't worry, it will disappear. Don't worry, 
That gap, which, you know, my eye went straight to the gap. She said, it will disappear. In other words, you're going to live with it so much that you're not even going to notice it anymore. And that's exactly what this idea is like. We live with it so much, we don't even realize it's there. And that's why this scripture from 2 Corinthians, I think, is critical for us this morning to kind of introduce this. Paul is actually, in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or as we now will say, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's actually the way the Brits say it anyway. So uh, here in 2 Corinthians, um, we, what uh, Paul is doing, he's still defending his apostleship. The, the Corinthian church thinks think that Paul is not that, he's not nearly as enlightened as the philosophers they've been listening to. Their ideas are so much more powerful. And Paul's having to defend his apostleship. And so in the course of that, he says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And the reason that we read that passage this morning is because that is our project together as we look at God's word and as we think about this hidden idea that is influencing each and every one of us, we want to destroy arguments and bring every lofty opinion set against the knowledge of God into submission and obedience to Jesus Christ and particularly this idea. So what is this idea that, uh, that I'm going on about in the first place? Well, Sociologist Robert Bella and his colleagues in the seminal book, Habits of the Heart, it first came out in, two, in, in 1985, and it has been re-released a couple of times, most recently in 2006, Habits of the Heart, called this idea expressive. This is at the heart of what it means to, to live in Western culture, and particularly in American culture. He called this idea expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. Philosopher Charles Taylor calls the same idea the culture of authenticity. Now, you need to put your thinking caps on and hang in there with me as we read Charles Taylor's definition. Nobody was, told me I was going to have to think in church today. It's just wrong. I just want to have feelings. Uh, I'm, <laughs> And so this is, this is what Charles Taylor says. He says, I mean, talking about this culture of authenticity, I mean the understanding of life which emerges with the romantic expressivism of the late 18th century. And we're all going, of course, yes, we remember that. Uh, that each one of us, and here it is, that each one of us has his or her own way of his or her own way of realizing our humanity. And that it is important to find and live out one's own as against surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society or the, prevailing, or the previous generation or religious or political authority. You know, again, so this, we have to find our own humanity. Important to live out one's own life. As over against uh, surrendering to conformity with a model imposed on us from outside by society, the previous generation, or religious or political authority. So what does all that mean? It means, here it is, this is what we all have drunk. We've all consumed this. It's coursing through our veins at this moment. It means that we believe that our true selves 
are found not in relationship with society or tradition or from religion, but by looking deep into our own desires. Those desires, passions, ambitions, that's our true selves. And in the culture of authenticity, it is your duty to express that inner self no matter what anyone else says. So that the only heroic narrative in this culture of authenticity is the inner quest to find and then express our true selves. The only heroic narrative, the only heroic story that gets our, our hearts swelling with joy, like the, the ancient heroic epics of, of Greece, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey did for the ancient Greeks, the story that gets our blood pumping is this, the heroic narrative of the inner quest to find and then express our true selves. Everyone now... Because of this, every one of us now is expected to have their own coming out story. Everyone has their own coming out story. I don't care how mom and dad or society or religion or the state would define me. In order for me to be true to myself, I have to find my inner me and live out that truth. Your rules don't have the right to define me. You can't tell me who I am. For me to be authentic, I have to find the true me. Follow my dream. Fulfill my passions. And every single teenager, millennial, and baby boomer, and anybody older than that believes this deep down inside. Every one of us has been relentlessly catechized to believe this idea. We are taught it in school from kindergarten through graduate school. It is the backbeat of every pop song. And its most effective means of indoctrination for us, I think, is probably film. If you are a parent or a grandparent, or heck, if you are a resident on this planet... You have probably now become familiar with the Disney film Frozen, right? And in that film, there are two sisters, Anna and Elsa, or as Annalise used to say, Anna Elsa. <laughs> Elsa has this ability which has its destructive side to, to create ice, to freeze things. Her parents make her hide this ability because it's kind of destructive, but also what would society think? But Elsa flees to the mountains and builds her own ice castle while singing these words, words rejecting external constraints and unleashing her true inner self. The wind is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them, don't let them in. <laughs> don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn my back and slam the door. And here I stand and here I'll stay. Let it go. Let it go. The cold never bothered me anyway. And then she sings this. It's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Her inner quest for her own, who she is, has come to fruition. And now she knows and she expresses her deepest inner self. And that's what all of us 
deep down inside, have been taught to believe. But there are deep and abiding problems with this idea and how it defines how we think about human flourishing and how we think about the good, the true, and the beautiful. And here are just a few of those those problems, deep and abiding problems. First of all, our inner desires conflict with and contradict themselves. In other words, they're incoherent. For instance, we want the freedom to pursue our academic and professional careers. But then we fall in love and want to have a family. And we realize that we're going to have to choose between these. So am I defined by my inner desire for a career potential or by my inner desire to have a family? Career and family are two competing desires, and we can't really have both of them to the fullest in the way that we desire to possess them. And there are so many other areas in life that are just like that. Uh, I want to be able to eat all the food I want to eat, and yet I want to live to see my grandchildren married. One of those desires is not going to be uh, compatible with the other. English author Francis, by the way, I, want to, I need to give a shout out to my research assistants at this point. Had two great ones. Um, Tim Keller, thank you for helping me out. That was Ken Myers, uh, Mars Hill Audio is the other one. So uh, thanks, guys. You did a great job. Um, but uh, English author Francis uh, Spufford writes this. You are a being whose wants make no sense. Don't harmonize. Whose desires deep down are discordantly arranged so that you truly want to possess and you, you truly want not to and you truly want not to at the same very same time. You truly want to possess, and you truly want not to at the same time. You are equipped, you realize, more for farce or even tragedy than happy endings. You are a being whose wants make no sense. Don't harmonize. The second reason this is a failing project is that our inner desires, if they are the source of our identity necessarily fracture our relationships with others, and they work, against, uh, they work as a solvent against anything approaching the common good in society. Every relationship can be ditched in the valiant effort to be my true self. Every relationship, every social expectation can be thwarted because of my valiant effort to express my true inner self. And here's the deal. This whole finding your true self by looking inwards is a sham. It's an illusion because, listen, we think that I'm going to find my identity by looking towards my inward self, identifying my desires, passions, and dreams. And then once I have identified those, living those out, expressing those, and that's how I'll find my true identity. And nobody from outside is going to tell me what I can do or who I can be. Well, guess what? That's a lie because it's already happening anyway. It's an illusion. There are already societal norms that are dictating which, listen, which of those desires you think you're going to be able to live out. Which of those are truly worth expressing? For instance, all right, listen. I'm going to share something deep from deep inside of me. This is my true inner self. All right. You're, I know this is scary, isn't it? And, and I want you to know, and some of, you, some of the folks that, that know me well and worked around me well know this is the case. And in fact, most recently, like two nights ago, not only do I look at uh, on YouTube for, for furry animals, I like the furry, cuddly animals. I also do this. Lisa came in, and she, she came in, and there was something playing on YouTube, and I'm lying there in bed. She said, what is that noise? 
And I said, bagpipes, <laughs> drums. Now, here's the deal. When I hear bagpipes and drums, I just want to fight. <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty old guy now. But deep down inside, I want to grab my, my claymore. I want to get my target, my buckler, my claymore. And I want to go hew the heads off my opponents. <laughs> I want to... I want to go and, and defend my honor against those who have dishonored me personally or have dishonored my people or have dishonored my, my, my chieftain. And I want to go out and I want to crack some skulls. That's the true inner me. That's my inner desire. And I know it because every time I hear bagpipes and drums, it just bubbles up. My heart gets pumping. And I say, yes, yes, or yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> At least I want to be a football hooligan. <laughs> But society says that that kind of violence is bad. And that if you express that, you're either going to go to jail or to a psychiatric hospital. And you probably need to be in counseling. Because that's not the kind of desire inner. That's not, no, you're not allowed to have that as your true inner self in 2016. On the other hand... There have been other married ministers and priests. You say, well, you're a priest. You obviously can't do. Well, there have been other married ministers and priests, some who are even retired bishops now, who have looked deep down inside and found desires for extramarital relationships that seem to be powerfully defining for them. And in pursuit of their true self, they have committed adultery, divorced their wives, left their children, and taken a new life partner of the same sex. And when their wives and children talk about the pain and grief of the divorce, those wives and their children are vilified and excoriated for standing between the husband who has committed adultery and his authentic identity. The man who leaves his wife and children is applauded for finding his true identity and being authentic because our society filters out violence. Good. I'm glad they do, that we do. But it privileges sexual freedom. So we really don't have an infinite choice of desires to express. But 300 years ago in Scotland, the exact opposite would be okay. Yes, you can get your claymore and target buckler and go out and hew the heads off of your clan's enemies. No, you cannot leave your wife and children, and certainly not for that reason. But it was filtered out 300 years ago in exactly the opposite way as it is today. So it's a sham that there are infinite ways that we can express our true inner selves. And finally, our inner desires don't really lead to freedom, but ultimately to enslavement. Now, I don't care what that is. It could be my inner desire for a career. If that becomes your overarching desire, it will eventually enslave you and crush you. If your inner desire is, is uh, the, the welfare and, and the promotion of your children through life, and they become the center of your reality, then you will crush their lives, and their failures are going to crush you. But most supremely, when we see our inner desires and passions being lived out and those becoming the defining element in our lives, we call that addiction. And it is death dealing. We are defined by our desire and it deals death. And if that's true, where am I going to go to find my true self? Where am I going to find genuine freedom? Well, here's the good news, brothers and sisters. 
You do not create yourself. You are all gift. You do not create yourself. You are all gift. Your creation is gift. Your redemption is gift. When we rest from the frantic and futile effort of self-definition, when we realize that our identity is given by God and not created from our passions, we realize that we are all gift. And there is true freedom. Because I am not the creator or the curator of my own identity. It is in the hands of an infinitely good and loving God who preserves it for me no matter what. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved. Our redemption is gift. And this is not your own doing. You don't create it. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. It's not the effort of trying to create your own reality so that no one may boast. And here's the key verse for this particular point. For we are his workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. Yes, poem. We are his poem. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus. Our creation is gift. You are God's handiwork. You are his poem. You are, his, you are God's self-expression. And that is infinitely more interesting and more life-giving than trying to find my own self-expression as my identity. That's who we are in our true self. We are his creature. And as creatures, our identity is conferred upon us, not created by us. So how do I come to know myself as gift? Well, here it is. Listen, if you want to know how you want to experience yourself as gift, if you want to rest from your labor of trying to create yourself from your own chaotic and incoherent desires, here's how you do it. You have to die to the project of self-creation. You have to die to the illusion of autonomy. Here's the counterintuitive truth of the gospel. I find myself by giving myself away. I find myself by giving myself away to King Jesus. I find genuine freedom by surrendering my autonomy. I find genuine freedom by surrendering my autonomy to King Jesus. If we try to save our own lives, in other words, if we look deep inside and hunker in and find our true self and some elusive inter-authenticity, we actually lose our lives because of all the things I've said before. But if we will deny the clamor and roiling turmoil of our conflicting desires and lay them down and surrender at the feet of Jesus, he will give us, he will confer upon us our true identity as children of the King. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Matthew 16, 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is exactly opposite from the governing idea of our culture of self-expression. We don't find life by turning inwards to focus on the self. We find genuine flourishing by denying ourselves. My desires, my passions, my quest for inward authenticity authenticity don't define me. It has to be denied and rejected because my authentic self comes from my Creator and Redeemer.
This sounds like the opposite of true freedom. It certainly does. It sounds like, it literally sounds like the worst thing ever in a culture of authenticity. But Jesus says this in John's gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 36. He's speaking of himself, and he says this. Whoever, well, actually, before this passage says, whoever, is a sla- whoever sins is a slave to sin. Whoever's living a self-directed life is a slave. But whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Whom the Son sets free, who I set free, is free indeed. You perceive your self-directed Self-creating identity as free, but you're a slave. I want to set you free. He says, he says to do it like this. Deny yourself and take up your cross. As we all know, the cross in the ancient world was an instrument of death, of execution. By taking up the cross, we are dying to that exploit of defining ourselves. And then we follow Jesus and follow me. We have a relationship with Jesus. He is the creator and curator of my identity. I am fulfilled and at ease in myself because I do not make myself. I do not sustain myself. And I know that because I am, am in relationship with the one who made me all gift. I am all and as we heard in Luke's gospel this morning, this King Jesus is worthy of our love and loyalty. He died for you. He died forgiving his murderers. What kind of king is King Jesus? He's the kind of king who forgives his murderers. He's the kind of king who allows himself to be mocked and scorned and humiliated for us. He's the kind of king who surrenders his own and the only genuine claim to self-sovereign autonomy in the universe, in the universe, is the eternal God's claim to autonomy. And he comes to us in flesh and blood. This God does. This king does. And he surrenders his claim to autonomy and freedom by literally being immobilized where he cannot do anything at all because he has allowed himself, he has allowed his freedom to be nailed to a cross. That's the kind of king we serve. He is the only king who will not exploit you He is the only master who will not oppress you. He gave his life so that you can have life. And the nature of this king to offer himself to us in love has not diminished through the ages. See, here at this table, he still offers himself body and blood. Giving himself away to us again and again and again in love. He is still forgiving sinners. He is still welcoming those justly condemned to death to be with him in paradise. And in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Won't you let him be your king today? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.